Hello, hello. Welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't, uh, the podcast where we talk about psychology and different psychological concepts and how those things apply to our everyday lives. And you probably already recognize my voice. My name is Megan and my partner in podcast here is Marta. Hey. Yay. We're finally together for like... In, not in a car <laughs> for the first time in a long time. Yeah, really. Which is pretty fun. And today we are going to be talking about cults, uh, the psychology of cults, both um, what it takes to kind of uh, run a cult, I guess is a good way to say it, like the psychological tactics that are used um, in acquiring cult members, as well as the psychological effects that being in a cult would have on a person. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be starting us off today with the basics of cults like what is a cult how do people get recruited into cults that that sort of thing and then the latter part will be megan talking about leaving one how to get out and yeah. uh what happens afterward life after yeah. yeah so i'm pretty excited uh and i think we're ready to just jump right in so yeah. first we're going to talk about what is a cult a cult is a group of people who organize around a strong authority figure and the group of people attempts to expand their influence for the purposes of power or money so uh in a lot of cults like for example jonestown we saw that they were trying to expand their influence for power mm -hmm. mainly that sort of thing they so they did make a lot of money I think along the way as well. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for already, because I mentioned Jonestown, last podcast on the left did an amazing series on really Jonestown. Really amazing, fucking chilling series. Yeah. <laughs> Highly recommend. Don't drink the flavor aid. Um, <laughs> uh, next up, I wanted to talk about cult versus religion. So, a distinguishing characteristic of a cult is that a cult has overbearing authoritarian control uh, versus religion doesn't really and cults use deception in recruitment and they use coercive influence techniques some would argue that some religions act very culty and i'd agree and it's mm -hmm. kind of a fine line and i think that there are some cults that base sort of their ideology and their belief in religion like jonestown yeah is a good example yeah yeah and there's definitely religious cults yes like uh scientology Yes. Say what you want. I think it's a cult. 100%. So, I had a whole conversation with my mom about this <laughs> in the car this past weekend. Yeah. We so, both agree. So cult and religion. Some people might call religion all religions cults. I don't know if I agree with that, but I know that they do share a lot of things together. Um, something that I read in my research was a, a professor was saying that his students will look at a lot of things in their lives. Like we'll look at religions or we'll look at like the fact that all of them own Apple iPhones and stuff like that. And they'll be like, okay, well, this is a cult. This is a cult. And he's like, well, you're applying the logic backwards. So it's like saying if it rains, the sidewalk gets wet. Therefore, if you see a wet sidewalk, it must have rained, but it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, the sidewalk could be wet because somebody dropped a bottle of water on it. Or, or there was a sprinkler or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lots so, of reasons. So when people, like, backwards apply that logic to, oh, this is a cult, this is a cult, this is a cult, you have to look at a lot more factors than just because one person leads it. Like, is the United States of America a cult? Don't know. Mm. <laughs> but by the backwards logic, it could be, but there's many other things that have to do with being a cult than just one authority figure or uh, or the advancement of power and money. It's also like taking control of people's identity, right? Like Americans, yes, they identify as Americans, but they could be like 
they uh, identify as individuals. They have their own personal yeah. beliefs within being an American. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's just more to it. And I think you guys would agree as well. Yeah. Like being a cult member is different than just being, being a citizen. A yeah. yeah. Um, next up, I wanted to talk about what kinds of people join cults and what's wrong with them. What's wrong with people who join cults. And the first thing I wanted to say is that people don't join cults. People don't join them. They get recruited into them. People join a group of people who are giving them solutions at a difficult time in their lives, that sort of thing. But nobody ever goes, sets out and says, I want to join a cult. Well, hey, maybe cult some do. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would really like to lose all of my free will and be emotionally and psychologically abused. Sign me up. Yeah. Cool. Where do I, where do I go? Um, the types of people who join cults are usually normal before they join. Yeah. I would say like anything in my research, it's not that there's a thing wrong with someone. It's anyone could be susceptible at a different, at a certain point in their life to yeah. recruitment. Yeah. yeah it, and it's all about susceptibility. So um, there is a equation in psychology and it's behavior is the function of personality times environment. Uh, so it's if your environment is making you susceptible. So if you've just moved to college or something, or if you just lost a loved one, or if there's anything in your life that's making you feel shaky and unsure, and you're more, um, you're looking for like an answer or like a solution, that's where cults really make their move. Mm -hmm. And so as far as recruitment goes, cults will likely like cult recruiters will frequent university campuses and uh, like meetings for uh, grieving widows and stuff like that to try to like recruit people anywhere that there's vulnerable populations. That's who cult members try to uh, or cult recruiters try to recruit. In fact, only five to 6% of cult, me cult members actually have psychological problems before hmm. they join. Most cult like recruits, new recruits are of high status are intelligent of sound mind that sort of thing and that's because cults don't want to be recruiting the bottom of the barrel cults gain power and money by recruiting like the middle to top of society mm -hmm. so they wouldn't want to recruit just a bunch of dependents they want to recruit people who have um I'm losing the word, like who have some kind of like force. Who have something they would want. Yeah. Like that have something to offer them, have money or they have status or they have like it could even just be as simple as like this person is fairly normal and having them in our group makes us look more normal. normal and more attractive to future members. Yeah. And again, applying that logic to back to the Jonestown uh, cult, they had a lot of people who were members of politics who yeah. were as part of their, who were part of their cults and like lots of regular people or on the like outside. Or like Scientology. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. We can talk about all of the like very successful and wealthy people who are not bottom of the barrel by many estimations. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, another interesting about interesting thing about cult recruits and recruitment in general is if you give a powerful enough situation, people often react uniformly in a similar fashion. So let's say there's a fire in your building. Your building is on fire. Everybody will leave the building mm -hmm. because of the environment. Most of these people probably aren't runners or they're homebodies. They like to stay at home. They normally wouldn't leave their building. But if the building is on fire, that environment is forcing you to act in a certain way. So cults try to create stuff like that too when recruiting people they're like oh here your life is falling apart here's a supportive situation that sort of thing like here's a supportive environment act this way with us because that's a way forward yeah 
So um, things that make people more vulnerable to cult recruitment are loneliness, depression, uncertainty of how to proceed or situations that desire quick and simple solutions. Like if you're in a load of debt or something like that, if something crazy is happening and you need a solution or an answer that makes you more vulnerable to being converted. Um, once somebody has been spotted by a recruiter, then the recruiter will usually control their social situation. They'll invite them out to a special function or a series of classes or something like that. A lot of it feels a lot like those timeshare meetings where you try to get recruited oh to buy a timeshare. <laughs> it's like kind of a similar thing. Uh, cult members are usually assigned to attend to the prospect constantly. So if you're being recruited into being a cult, then you have a sudden influx of loving, caring people all around you, like just trying to make sure like, oh, Oh, are you okay? We love you. You're accepted. Blah, blah, blah. So that um, really keeps people... It's like a lot of positive attention. Yeah. yeah. And really keeps, keeps people in controlled situations. Eventually, they are involved in group ecstatic activities such as meditation, obsessive praying, constant lecturing or preaching. And they uh, start to influence a lack of sleep and this maintains the mind at a constantly debilitated state so people don't usually stop and be like hey wait what's going on because they're just so swept up in the social situation at some point the person the recruit is placed into a panicky disoriented state uh, and it's usually for manufactured by recruiters like a crisis is usually manufactured and at that point the new recruit has a choice either i will stay with the cult and I'll choose the cult or I leave and then the cult disowns them as well. Wow. So it's part of like a recruitment process. Usually that's like from what I read, it doesn't happen in all cults like that. But that's one of the ways that they choose, like see if people are worthy of joining their cult. And usually part of that panicky state, like that situation involves cutting off your outside life and cutting out your outside society. So, yeah, your like pre-existing support system. Yeah. So cults take people who are in vulnerable situations like we like I already talked about and they provide or they promise solutions, structure, authority and close social contacts um, in an uncertain when somebody's living in an uncertain state. Those things look really appealing. Mm -hmm. Cults also. So cults really flourish with the environment or with situations. And so that's not only people's personal environments or people's personal situations. It's like on a larger scale, like on a national scale, cults tend to flourish during periods of social and political disturbance or during breakdowns in structures of society. So after the fall of Rome, cults gained prevalence during the French Revolution, uh, in England during the Industrial Revolution, in Japan after World War II, in Eastern Europe after the breakup of the communist regime. This is really interesting to me because my parents lived through that, so I wanted wow. to know what kind of cults there were. Yeah. Um, and then in America in 1960s counterculture, which is like the vast majority of the cults that we've heard about I think in our popular culture, like Jonestown, for example. Yeah, it's again, it's sort of like a post-war counterculture, just good breeding ground. Yeah. What was the other one? There was like, were they called like the Hare Krishnas or something? Yeah, there are a few around that time. The Seekers, which is like Heaven's Gate that started in the 60s as 60s and 70s as well. Um, yeah, there are a few. You could, well, Charles Manson, this family, um, the family as well is another one. It was like a commune in california they were very like hippie cult peace and love oh yeah i didn't hear about them 
Um, there's a documentary series about them. Actually, it might not be a series. It might have been a movie, but it was um, the way I remember it. And I apologize if there's somebody out there that has more details about this. Please send it in. But I always picture it as like a kind of old bearded man with like a lot of wives. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Rings a bell. Um, to go on with recruitment, there's no magic bullet in recruiting like there's it's not like they suddenly drug people or that there's like a certain type of person that you're looking for you're just looking for people in a certain situation and there's it's really just using influence tactics so like get get tactics and then keep tactics to keep people in the cult there's nothing magic it's just systematic manipulation of people yeah find people who are susceptible and like do all of these things that program them to yeah want to stay yeah. And then I mentioned get and keep tactics. Uh, get tactics are time consuming, su- subtle and effortful. And these are aimed to actually get people and to get control of them versus keep tactics are um, really much more aggressive. They're less time consuming, uh, but they're not subtle at all. So once people are in, it's easier to keep them in than to convince them to join. So you can yeah. be like more aggressive and more blatant about your tactics yeah. than when you're just trying to convince somebody to join. Um, while people, once people are already starting to get recruited, once the cult has already reached out and started to bring these people in to actually get them to like commit or to stay in the cult, uh, they tend to keep people constantly fatigued. They tend to deprive them of sensory input. So putting people out on a farm where they're doing nothing, they're all just bored. That is a common cult tactic that we've heard about. There's suffering protein deprivation, which is interesting that it's like so specifically about protein. Uh, Working extremely long hours in street solicitation or cult-owned businesses. Engaging in monotonous chanting and rhythmical singing and movement of the body. And what's interesting about these, uh, the rhythmical moving and singing, is that it actually mimics the symptoms of temporal lobe epilepsy. So people oh, were, I read about that as well. Yeah. When I was researching, it must've been maybe the same source that you had used, but that's cool. Probably. Yeah. So when people are in a cult and they do all of these things, like the rhythmic chanting, like the movement of the body and, um, like, oh, what is this? Um, rocking? Yeah, like is that, that it, I mean you're rocking back and forth. Yeah, so like <laughs> a lot of the prayers that you see like with cults like they're rocking, they have like constant stimulation on the body. Uh these things mimic the symptoms of temporal lobe epilepsy and these are increased irritability, loss of libido or altered sexual interest. Um ritualism, compulsive attention to detail, mystical states, humorlessness, sobriety, and heightened paranoia. So Mm. those symptoms are seen in the people with temporal lobe epilepsy and seen in cult members, which is interesting. Um, And just a final little note on who is recruited into cults and that sort of thing. It's usually people from upper and middle classes, like I said, and they're usually ranged 15 to 31 years of age. There's more male recruits than female recruits, which is interesting. And the average age is 19 and a half. So the range goes from 15 to 31, but most common it's 19 and a half. And that's because that's the time that people go to school. Yeah, I was going to say like that's uh, transitioning from um, adolescence into adulthood, which is kind of 15 to 30, early 30s is a rough time for a lot of people. Like you go through a ton of changes and you're kind of susceptible for that whole 
one to two decades of your life (laughs) to like not knowing what direction to go in and yeah sometimes I think that like it's really just a miracle that I didn't end up in a cult (laughs) (laughs) because it's just like I went through a lot of like changes when I was in school that sort of thing like I didn't have a really good strong base of support at school yeah no I get that I have um sometimes I am surprised that I don't have addictions to like a lot of different substances but for the same reasons yeah yeah um most people who are recruited into cults are cults are sheltered um sorry most people who are recruited into cults normally are intelligent youths from sheltered environments uh, who have had contact with religion, but they rejected it. So mm. they're aware of the structures of the religion, but they chose not to go with it. Uh, they have a history of failing to achieve intimacy. They tend to blame others for, others for their failures, and they constantly strive for perfectionist goals. The thing of co- blaming others for their failures ties in really neatly with how to resist recruitment. So... Something that makes us something that makes people susceptible to recruitment is called the self-serving bias. So it's what makes us believe that we are immune to the influences that affect the rest of humanity. So if you uh, poll all of the drivers on the road and you ask them if they're better than the average driver, most people will say that they are better than the ad- average driver. I think it's something I'm pulling this number out of my ass here, but I think it's seventy percent. Wow. Say that they are a better driver than in the average, which. That math doesn't add up. Yeah, it can't be true. Yeah, because it has to be under 50 who say they're better. Something like that. Yeah, so it's self-serving bias is something that makes us vulnerable because we never think that we're... Vulnerable. Yeah. We never think that we're the one at fault or we never think that we're the one who would make the wrong choice yeah so um something to also defend against recruitment is ask key questions to determine if an organization is a cult know how to protect yourself against uh at meetings where where you feel like oh i'm being i'm in a vulnerable place maybe these people are trying to use that vulnerability like if you ever get invited to a party and when you get to the party everybody there is like all lovey-dovey and fantastic Maybe they're on drugs. Maybe it's a cult. <laughs> Maybe it's just a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just learn to detect the warning signs of a cult. Just ask lots of questions like, how are you guys structured? Who's your leader? That sort of thing. Well, um, yeah. Also, like, maybe just be aware of, is there a leader? Like, are you making me promises that are really difficult to fulfill? And if yeah. that's the case, yeah. Ask questions yeah that's one of the things that like cults tend to promise things that are unattainable like financial security for the rest of your life really like idealistic but yeah yeah Yeah. so try to keep an eye out on that and then just for my last thing that i'm going to say is for the people from the outside looking in so how to tell if a loved one is in a cult or being recruited into a cult or something like that there's nine symptoms that i found so there's personality changes uh Destructive cults tend to more aggressively change people's personalities, but there's there are cults that are not destructive. Oh yeah, by the way, which I forgot to mention. But so destructive cults will you'll see more aggressive personality changes, but all of them have them, uh, and they replace their members' personality with new identities. There's also a dramatic shift in values or beliefs. There's changes in their diets or sleep patterns. There's a refusal to attend important family events that's part of destructive cults tactic to cut you off from your outside world that helps them control you Uh, there's an inability to make decisions without consulting a cult leader or guru there's a sudden use of a new ideology to explain everything Uh, people who are 
being influenced by cults also have black and white simplistic reasoning. So it's like, it's either this way or that way. If you're not with me, then you're evil. They tend to have a new vocabulary and they tend to insist that they know what they're doing. Like, don't worry. I know what's going on. I know what I'm doing. I, I've been programmed to tell you that I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I have a self-serving bias. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how from the outside looking in, if somebody is exhibiting any combination of those symptoms, you might have something to worry about. Well, and again, I would say like asking key questions, um, like, okay, if you're following this new leader, this new ideology, yeah. Like asking key questions that would let you identify that, like, are they making you promises that are really difficult to keep? And like all of these other signs being present, I mean, like going away to school, you might expand your vocabulary. You might really think that you know what you're doing. Like there. That's true. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, Do you think that there are different questions to ask for different types of cults? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I think it would depend on what the answers are, to be honest with you. Um, That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I think like, and maybe we should talk about some of the types of cults as we answer this. But um, as I was going through different types of cults, yeah, like all of those things, all of those signs, those warning signs, I feel like you would find them in any one of these. And so True. I would probably be asking those questions if I saw a trigger for any of these. But I would kind of want to know, okay, if I'm worried about you joining a cult, I would want to know what kind of cult we're talking about <laughs> um, and go from there. So what kind of cults are there? Um, so I found, I'm kind of glad I, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, um, that it sounds like we got a slightly different grouping of types of cults. So I'm excited for that. Um, what I found was, uh, first destructive cults. And I think these are the types of cults that you hear about more frequently than any others. Um, and it's groups whose members have through deliberate action have, um, physically injured or killed other members of their own group or other people. And And really perfect examples of this would be Jonestown or the Manson family or something like that. It's like a really totalitarian type of structure. Um, Emphasis on, like you were saying, Marta, money making, a loss of personal identity, estrangement from your family and disinterest in society. And like, like there's pronounced mental control, like this person is clearly brainwashed. Um, Another one that I found is a doomsday cult. So these are groups that believe in an apocalypse and they predict disaster and or groups that attempt to bring about that disaster. They usually have a cataclysmic worldview. And um, this is usually after repeatedly failing to find meaning in other more mainstream movements. And the example that I have here is The Seekers, which is Heaven's Gate. There's a really fantastic podcast called Heaven's Gate. I don't know if you ended up listening to it, but I really loved it. It's it's a really eye-opening, and yeah. it really gives you a good look at uh, what, it, what it was like to be in that cult. And they do have um, interviews with members who survived, and it was another mass suicide type of cult, but um, very voluntary and less volatile than the Jonestown um, flavorade disaster. Um. (laughs) Um, Speaking of doomsday cults, have you heard of the show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, man. That's I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. She for the listeners, she actually 
was one of the people that was rescued from a doomsday and it was just like what three women or four women or something being kept uh, i think it was four women yeah, yeah being, being kept, kept in, in like, a bunker underground by a ruler by a dude yeah. who like fucking made up a lot of shit that they ended up believing because they were blocked away from society and other options yeah um Another is a political cult, and this um, this type of cult would have, like, your primary interest is in political action and ideology, um, and I would say to a really extreme or dysfunctional degree. Like, you can be an active member of a political party and not necessarily be in a cult, right? So, uh, I think the degree of, of extremity... Extremity? Yeah, extremism, yeah. maybe? Extremism is probably a better way to say it. Anyway, um, <laughs> if it's extreme, then yeah, yeah, then it would be a cult. Um, so usually these would have a really far left or far right agenda. Um, some examples of this would be the La Rouge movement, uh, National Labor Federation, the Workers' Revolutionary Party in Britain, um, those sorts of groups um another type of cult i found was polygamist cults and i don't know that this is actually a type of cult i started thinking Mm. about it and there are a lot of religions that um support uh or are okay with polygamy so i don't know where to draw the line there um but it's estimated that there are like 50,000 members of polygamous cults in North America or something crazy big like that. Um, they're often viewed negatively because of their perceived links to possible domestic violence or child abuse, um, which I didn't know before. Um, another example, or pardon me, not example, another type of cult would be racist cults. And really the name says it all on this one. The KKK. Yeah. The KKK. Um, also things like, um, secret Aryan cults in Germany and Austria in the 19th, late 19th and early 19th century uh, gave way to the um, creation of Nazism Mm -hmm. in Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that's another perfect example of like, this is a time of unrest in this country and that allowed this group to come to be. Yeah. Um, Also uh, like modern skidhead groups in the U S tend to have the same sort of recruitment techniques as destructive cults, which I thought was interesting. Uh, And then finally terrorist cults. And these are much like destructive cults. um, And it's, yeah, like examples would be Al Qaeda. And again, it's sort of like they use such similar tactics to destructive cults that I think like, even though they have a religious, basis like their ideology comes from a a common religion it's the extremism and the degree of violence and and against in members and out members that makes it cult you know what this actually um triggered a memory of a podcast that i was listening to about isis and how isis recruits their teens and it's when their teen the uh the people are going through like really big changes in their lives are really big like times of unrest when they're being um when they're being like put down at, at school or whatever when people are discriminating against them all the time they're like you know what fuck this and then isis comes out of nowhere and they're like a supportive group and everybody yeah. all hangs out together and they're all like we're here for you we know what it's like and it they use have the to be same like sorts that. of like um conversion tactics that that a cult would use to yeah identify those people who are susceptible to this and like brainwash them for lack of a better word. Um, I found a really fantastic quote when I was doing this research um, from a 2002 meeting of the American Psychological Association. Um, A man named Stephen Hassan, who is an anti-cultist thinker, 
I guess you would call him a uh, psychologist, psychiatrist. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, he said, uh, we need to apply what we know about destructive mind control cults. And this should be a priority with the war on terrorism. We need to understand the psychological aspects of how people are recruited and indoctrinated so we can slow down recru- recruitment. We need to help counsel former cult members and possibly use some of them in the war against terrorism, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Um, I had another type of cults that was mm-hmm. commercial. Yeah. And I am glad you brought this up because I started thinking of like, um, pyramid schemes. Pyramid schemes. Yeah. Yes. I was going to just make the shape and think of the word there. <laughs> yeah. Pyramid schemes or multi-level marketing organizations are, could be considered as cults. So don't buy for the, from the Avon lady. She's trying to recruit you. I don't know about that. I don't know about <laughs> Avon, <laughs> but like there's been some like, Oh, yeah, there totally have been some. Um, There's a really good episode of Bullshit. I'm sorry I bring this up every fucking episode, but there is a really good episode of Bullshit about multi-level marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been told, I just realized we did this. We, I spoke right over Megan as she was talking. And listeners, it's been mentioned to us already. Sorry. That we talk over each other, and I'm sorry. We just get very excited. We get worked up. Right. Yeah. And like, I'm spewing what I'm spewing and she's spewing what she's spewing. So we're like, just really more efficient. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we're friends. If you've ever hung out with your friend, like you don't talk over each other. Like what kind of conversation are you having? And if you don't have friends, give us a call. We know a cult you can join. <laughs> it's called, who knew he didn't? <laughs> um, speaking of multi-level marketing type things, uh, uh, like many years ago, Taylor went on a job interview and it was in the way that the job was advertised was a business to business selling thing. And it like, it seemed very legit on paper, but then when he went into the interview, he had to spend the day with them to see if it would be like a good fit for him sort of thing. And he like heard them chanting in the next room and like the way that you have to make it, it really, it was a pyramid scheme. Well, it wasn't a pyramid scheme, but it was like a multi-level marketing type of job and masquerading as business to business sales. And he was like, I have to get out of that's, here. That's exactly the job that I was interviewed for right before I got like our job Yeah, was a business that sold the services of other businesses. That's exactly what hit. And it was downtown Toronto. Yeah. And they, like, the guy that was interviewing me, like, was chugging a Red Bull while he was interviewing me. It sounds exactly like the day that Taylor spent at this. Oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. You know what? It probably was the same place. I don't remember the name of the company. But it was, like, yeah. I, I just know that the office was right across the street from a fire hall. Um, I don't remember where. He, I feel like the interview he went to was in the north end of Toronto. Oh, mine was DT. Oh, well. Well. Same idea, though. I started by saying downtown, and then I cut myself off and said DT like an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So since you you told me about all of those types of cults, I just wanted to mention I had the number here somewhere. So there's an estimate that there's 2,500 to 3,000 cults in the U.S. with some 300,000 members. Jesus. 300,000 members. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And then there are like those secret cults and there's lots of small cults as well, right? So we don't have accurate numbers, but it's just, it's big. And these numbers are from, I think, like the 70s, the estimates. So who knows if it got worse? Wow. That's a lot of cults. That's a lot of cults. And then that's just in the States in the number was from the seventies. I'm pretty sure. So it probably only just kept climbing. Yeah. And if they're only looking at the U S then 
Yeah, hard think to about, determine. Think about the Middle East where there's all the unrest right now. There's probably tons of fucking cults. Yeah. It's a good, again, it's a hotbed. Yeah. Um, and then something else about cults that I didn't mention like earlier in my discussions about situations is that environment, psychologically, environment is known to easily dominate personality-based differences among people. So given a powerful and engaging situation, people react in the uniform fashion, uh, but it's been recreated in real life and in laboratory situations. So in real life, we know Nazism, the Jonestown uh, cult, Bolshevism, those are all cults Mm -hmm. like that started out as cults and they like just dominated people's personalities. But in the laboratory, there's the Sharif experiment, the Ash conformity uh, experiments and the Milgram experience experiments, which I don't want to go into here, but if you guys want to study, study about them, yeah, they're actually pretty freaking cool. So Cult, like the fact that environment controls people is very well known, very well studied. It's something that we can go on and on and on about. And it can make you do things that you wouldn't normally do. Like, for example, kill. Yes. Yes, it could. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that when we were planning out how we were going to do this episode. Like one of the questions that we threw around to each other was what would make somebody kill for a cult? Like we kind of get what would make it attractive and we get that you know cults have mind control so so what exactly is it that would make you go to that extreme so for these examples like really i am kind of going to use the charles manson it's so notable i think a lot of our listeners will know the details of it um or at least the cole's notes version of it uh (laughs) so um when you're when you're joining a cult a destructive cult like that uh people as they're being recruited they don't see an abusive or murderous cult they don't see that they're going to be spending their life in a shitty cult environment um they're told about an inspiring and charismatic leader who has this great vision or who has purpose or will give them purpose and can transform their lives for the better so like we've been talking about you're susceptible you need an answer and this is a group that's going to give it to you um they see a messiah like they they see it's not just a leader it's like a an answer yeah it's an answer and it's like i don't want to use the term god so like messiah is probably the next best word but yeah an answer and in the form of a of another person um it's someone who's full of hope and optimism for the world and this brings up the idea of an optimism bias which is a cognitive bias that causes a person to believe that they are at a lesser risk of experiencing a negative event than other people are. It's very common in like an optimism bias would transcend race and age and gender and even species. I actually saw a note that there are rats and birds uh, in experiments have been observed to have an optimism bias. Probably links to the self-serving bias. I'd yeah. Say. Yeah. When you were talking about it, very similar. Um, there are four factors that exist that cause a person to be optimistically biased. So like their desired end state, their cognitive mechanisms, the information they have about themselves versus others and their overall mood. And there are a lot of examples of this, like, um, Smokers believe, even though you know that smoking causes lung cancer, smokers believe that they will not get lung cancer, even though other people do. And I'm not going to go into this more, but I thought this would be another really good study study to talk about this specifically. Um, But in any case, um, 
people who have been recruited into cults, this optimism bias exists because they've been promised to find something there. They like got this promise of hope. So it's, it is like the self-fulfilling prophecy. You're told that this is going to be the thing that you find. So that's what you find there. And, um, you don't consider that it's a fucking cult. <laughs> um, you walk in, you expect to find a hopeful, peaceful, visionary individual. So you don't see creepy Charles Manson and his spooky face. You see uh. your leader. You see like this Messiah who's going to give you the answer you're looking for. Yeah. Um, so for people who choose to believe in this like wonderful and life affirming opportunity, um, their search for salvation and their bonding to that leader, it's begun before they even meet him. Like it's, it started before they get there. Um, a quote from an article in the conversation, and I just thought it was really good, so I want to read it for you. The key to Manson's control, as with all cult leaders, was to ensure that followers not only saw him as an all-powerful messiah-like figure, but that followers see themselves as members of a superior elite that has the answer to the world's problems, even if that means killing the rest of the world along the way. Um, so that cult leader becomes a dominant part of the followers identity and self-esteem and their reason for living is now tied with the leader and the cult. And it, it like it gives them a sense of family and, and it fulfills the followers basic needs. And like at that point, any critical thinking or morals are just, they're gone. They disappeared They're mm -hmm. They left, um, which is why followers can do terrible things or witness barbaric acts and do nothing to stop it. If you're acting against the leader, you're acting against yourself and everything that you've invested in the leader, in the cult, like it, it just, there's no going back at yeah. that point. Like, and there's low limit. Would you say part of it is like admitting that you made a stupid choice? Yeah, like you're too far gone. Like why you can't back out now. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and it's the ultimate act of loyalty and reinforcement of the cult identity for the follower. Like just like a suicide bomber or something like that. Like being willing to take their own life and many others in the name of the ideals and the, the leader in which they believe. It's like the best thing that they could possibly do with their life is this horrible thing that ends another person's. Um, also, in a cult, you've created your own world, you've created your own or someone has created for you your own state of consciousness and existence. And so the normal rules of the rest of society don't apply to you in this world of the cult that's the cult's constructed. Um, it's like you've got blinders on. You don't see yourself anymore. You don't see your family. You don't see your friends. You don't see that like this is wrong. Especially in a doom doomsday cult, I think it would be easier to convince people to kill because it's like, okay, well, the world's ending anyway. It's funny you say that, but I've, at least in my research, and I don't know this to be true, again, if there are listeners out there that have thoughts on this, send them in. Um, but I find this sort of like the act to, or the, the willingness to kill is in destructive cults, but doomsday cults is more like we're willing oh, to accept that like our life is going to end and like... We'll we'll join this cult so that we're okay when it's over, mm -hmm. or we're okay. okay on the way there because we've accepted it in this way that the rest of the world True. hasn't. I didn't even consider that. Yeah, I don't think that um, uh, there is. I did find something. I wish I could think of an example of a cult that did this, but like there there are doomsday cults that kind of work to bring about um, the end of the world, sort of thing. But I think um, the examples that 
I've found of doomsday cults are ones where it's sort of like we've accepted that this is the what's going to happen. And so we're going to live this way. And that way, when the end of the world comes, we'll be fine. I actually wonder about doomsday cults. Like, what's the goal? Power, money or like security? The answer. Answer. Oh, the answer is the goal. It's yeah, it's not power or money because the world's going to end. What good is power or money going to do? Exactly. It's about like having an answer. And um, I'm going to talk about Heaven's Gate here because it's the one that I'm most familiar with. But it was it was people who they had spent their life thinking there was something more and looking for something more and for their whole lives seeking something that they could not find and they found it here and they believed in you know ufos and they believed that they would they would drink this not they didn't drink kool-aid but like that they would drink this poison and they would their bodies would stay on earth but their consciousness would leave and be up in a spaceship and they would be fine um there's a video game called far cry 5 that just actually recently came out i don't know one of the guys i've played it well, oh, okay. I haven't played it through, but Taylor has played it through. He's on his like second run now of it's playing through Far Cry. Cults. Yeah, it's a yes. It's it about is. Eden's Gate. Yeah, so I just wanted to mention it because you said Heaven's Gate. There's Far Cry. It's about yeah, Eden's and Gate. it's it's for sure. It's a destructive cult. It's also a bit of a doomsday cult now that I think about it. Um, but and I wasn't sure if I could find a way to bring this up. But talking about like periods of unrest being good breeding ground for cults, I think about like. America today and that's kind of the commentary that I think they were going for it's certainly the commentary I took away from Far Cry 5 um, which is that the state of the United States right now is this breeding ground for this really intense evangelical um, cult cult yeah yeah and it it's a really fun game (laughs) it's a good video game the ending sucks but the rest of it's pretty fun Uh, yeah so that's that's what I found for what would drive somebody to kill kill for your cult. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I guess now at this point, we should probably talk about leaving a cult. Unless, did you have anything else you wanted to add before we get into that? No, I was going to say, I'm in a cult. Get me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, what I found when I first started researching this, uh, I found... There's actually a wiki how um, for how to leave a cult. It was the very of first, of course, very first thing that came up, um, and it was interesting because it reminded me uh, a lot. Uh, like the suggested steps for how to leave a cult really sounded quite a lot like um, the suggested steps for fleeing domestic abuse. Um, like keep a go bag. <laughs> Think of someone outside of the cult that could help you. Um, finding a place to stay that's safe. Finding an opportunity to leave and be ready to go, keeping your plan secret, that sort of thing. So that's what WikiHow tells you to do. Um, Really having strong relationships can be a very key form of protection against cults because a victim who is being recruited will go through, like Marta was talking about, sudden changes in personality. They no longer seem like who they were. Um, They become consumed by the group and do everything in the interest of the group. So that should be a huge alarm bell for family and friends like we've been talking about research that group as quickly as possible, look out for your loved ones, take steps to to break it. Um, so so those are sort of like preliminary how to get yourself out of a cult is is to keep your eyes open for those sorts of signs. Um, how, do you, how do you keep a loved one out of a cult? Um, you, I think it's it's like... Because um, like if they think that they've found the answer, how do you convince them that they didn't? I think a really key... T- 
tactic, like we've talked about today, is um, breaking people off from your former relationships. And so I think that's a really key thing to keeping somebody out of a cult or like breaking somebody from that is making sure that they know that relationship is still there like holding on for dear life yeah holding on for dear life exactly um so i think that's really important even if you can't force it you know just making sure that um they know you're there no matter what it's again to talk about heaven's gate the podcast one thing that was very interesting to me they did interview some family members who had been um uh, family members of people who died in heaven's gate and it was amazing to me because some of them did have contact with their families throughout it and it got lesser and lesser contact as things went on but it yeah it was I think an important thing that they kept that line open yeah yeah um it is easier for some people than others to make the decision to leave a cult. Um, some people aren't as susceptible to the kinds of mind control techniques that are used by cults, or they may have retained enough of their own self-identity, like their own sense of self, to make a decision to leave. Um, but it's usually not that simple. And there are ex-cultists who say that they spent years working up the nerve to get out. And people who truly convert into a cult are completely dependent on the cult for every aspect of their life and their consciousness. So like you're really truly indoctrinated and that means leaving now means being alone and having to start over completely. So it is, it's not an easy feat. Um, your, your sense of self is totally broken down. You don't know who you are. Um, and especially if it's a totalist cult, um, get it like, like a, destructive type of cult like a totalitarian mm -hmm. kind of thing mm -hmm. getting the confidence to voluntarily leave requires a great deal of willpower which doesn't come easily especially to people who were susceptible to um being recruited in the first place um so what might cause this to come about what might cause this trigger that i need to leave to come about so it could be that a cultist has renewed contact from the outside world like you might have contact with a family member for the first time in years and that would inspire you to leave so keeping that communication line keeping that that um open mm -hmm. um it could happen that a cult member has a psychological breakdown and they believe that they're this is one's really depressing they believe that they're too worthless to meet the expectations of the group and so they leave to spare the cult their presence which i thought was just heartbreaking that you could be in that that susceptible a place that not only were you so susceptible to join the cult you're now so um, broken down that you don't even think that so vulnerable you deserve yeah. to be there yeah um, there could be a traumatic experience that jolts that person back into consciousness like witnessing something terrible like abuse within the cult um, so there's a couple ways one could leave the cult you could leave voluntarily and that means like like the cult has to let you leave <laughs> or like you you work it out that you're allowed to leave kind of thing mm -hmm. um, the cult would likely put a lot of pressure on that person to stay but a lot of um, a lot of cults do allow people to choose to leave if they want. So there was a movie with Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, it was one of her earliest movies that she was in about her being pulled into a cult and then like trying to leave. And it's called Martha Martha Marcy May Marlene. Oh, that's what that movie is about. Mm -hmm. I've heard the title before, but I never, I haven't seen it yet. Cool. Now I want to. No, I definitely want to see it's it. It's good. And like watching that, I was like, hey, I like this twin. Uh, not twin. Oh my the God. The non twin. Yeah, I like the non twin. So that's cool. Just in case you were wondering. I don't know why that popped in. 
to my head. But well, we're talking about cults. Here you go. You're welcome. Talking about yeah, Mar- Marta would Good recommendation. Vomit. <laughs> it's a it's a movie that Marta has seen. Guys, you should Megan probably hasn't. see it. <laughs> um, so, in in mild cases, a member who leaves a, ca- a cult could be disowned by the cult and like forbidden to contact the people that have been their family, have served as their family for a long time, but they won't suffer any actual like physical harm from leaving. But in severe cases, a cult might stop at nothing to lose control over their members. And one might um, find themselves fearing for their life when they're trying to leave. So an example is Jonestown. Um, The People's Temple is what the name of the cult was, but Jonestown is the compound that they had in uh, Guyana. Um, So 16 members decided that they wanted to leave the cult in 1978. There was a visit from a U.S. government group or something like that um, came to visit the compound. And uh, so these members were like inspired to leave and several armed cult members followed them to the airport and opened fire. They injured 11 people. They killed a U.S. congressman, three reporters and one member who was trying to leave. So Um, And so the fear of consequences from that incident is what actually triggered the leader Jim Jones to initiate the mass murder of the remaining cult members because like if it gets out that we killed all these people like we're fucked so yeah. we might as well just all die now <laughs> yeah um now there's also so that's like leaving voluntarily maybe you'll get out or maybe they'll fucking pull a Jones down and not let you out Um, (laughs) but there is also such a thing as a forced exit Um, so there are some cases where a cult member does not want to leave but they are removed anyway and this is usually the first stage in what is called deprogramming which is an extreme method of removing somebody from a cult against their will Um, so this isn't like the cult forcing people out it's it's someone from the outside um, initiating the deprogramming I read a bit about deprogramming and like quite a few of the psychologists that i read about they're like i am not involved in deprogramming whatsoever it's not something that's done anymore it was popular in the 70s but it's not um it's not done anymore um and it's and it's not easy so um talking is usually the first step to getting somebody to come out of it um but if someone is very indoctrinated they might really not be able to hear anything that an outsider has to say or other times like the cult may have Um, made that individual so far removed from the outside world that there isn't an opportunity to start that conversation. So deprogramming is or was a really drastic uh, method that involved kidnapping the cult member away from the cult. It's really expensive. It costs thousands of dollars to do this. And after the forced removal, deprogramming mostly involves like hours and hours of intense debriefing during which the deprogrammers hold that cult member against their will and they use more ethical psychological techniques to try and counter the unethical psychological techniques that were used to the cult by the cult to bring that person in so the goal is to try and get the cult member to think for themselves and reevaluate their situation it's funny that like because cults take away your power kind of and so in order to try to give somebody back their power you take them out of that situation and take away their power again yeah they yeah it's it's yeah yeah. and i think that's part of the ethical reason why this is not something that's done anymore um but in the deprogramming mode once you've kind of got them away um debriefing methods would usually include educating the cult member on thought reform techniques and helping them recognize those methods in their own 
cult experience, like getting them to recognize that they were brainwashed, um, asking questions that encourage the cult member to think critically and independently and helping them recognize when they do that type of thinking and really praising them for it. So like positive reinforcement when they think critically um, and attempting to produce an emotional connection to their former life, like introducing them to objects from their past, having a family member share their memories of a pre-cult existence, like trying to get them back in touch with the life they Mm. had before. Um, So as I was saying, this was a more common approach in the 70s, but it's fallen out of favor because it's so expensive and because it involves kidnapping and imprisonment, which has actually led to lawsuits in some cases. So (laughs) it's not something that people do anymore. Deprogramming is not a thing. Um, Nowadays, what is um, more common is something called exit counseling. So um, it leaves out the kidnapping (laughs) side of of deprogramming and it focuses... Yeah, it focuses on employing psychological techniques that would get the cult member to voluntarily submit to debriefing. Mm -hmm. Um, So an exit counselor guides the family in the most effective ways to get the cult member to communicate with outsiders. Um, Family members have to remain non-judgmental, calm, and loving. Um, Otherwise, they just reinforce the belief that the outsiders are bad and dangerous. Um, And then if they succeed and the cult member agrees to participate in debriefing, what happens next is basically the same debriefing description that I gave you a moment ago. Um, Long sessions that take place over a number of days, but a really important difference in deprogramming is the cult member is always free to leave if they wish. Um, So they're not held against their will. Would you say that there's a possibility that once somebody has left a cult that they'll join again? Kind of like addictions and relapsing uh that's interesting hold on to that question let's talk about that after i talk about what it's like after leaving a cult and then we'll see how we feel about that because i didn't think about that at all but that's a good question because what you were saying like about exit exit counseling sounded a little bit like trying help helping people to get through addiction like be loving and consistent and yada 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 yeah get the person to think independently and not rely on the substance yeah. or the cult for or the their, cult yeah, for the answers. Solutions. Not unlike it, but it's funny that you say that. Cause earlier you said, I'm often surprised that I didn't end up in a cult and I'm like, yeah, I'm surprised I'm not <sighs> fucking addicted to Coke, but <laughs> both of us, what you going to do? Um, not anyways, Coke. so there's, uh, really no guarantee that any cult removal technique is going to work. Um, some sources say that at least a third of deprogrammings fail. And there's no definitive stat that I could find on the success of exit counseling. But when it does work and someone leaves a cult and goes back to the outside world, they have really a whole new set of challenges. So that's leading me in now to what it's like after you've left a cult. So though it's possible for those who've left a cult to integrate that experience into their lives in a healthy way, um, many people are unable to. Um, So, uh, There's a man named Dr. John G. Clark Jr. Uh, He's an assistant clinical professor at the of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Um, He's treated more than 500 current and formal former cult members since the 70s. So, I mean, as far as you know, who knows about cults and is recognizable and someone you should listen to. This is a guy. Uh, (laughs) He stated that the effects of cult conversion can create like really a whole new disease as a result of 
the psychological manipulation that that person went through. Temporal lobe epilepsy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, he mentioned that among these negative characteristics, like Marta was talking about earlier, but these are more, it's funny, as you were saying this earlier, the um, experience you have that while you're in a cult, um, what that leads to, it's funny because I felt like it mirrors very much what it's like after you leave a cult. So basically, guys, cults are not the answer. <laughs> um, so things like depression, guilt, fear, paranoia, rage, um, slower speech, like it would actually affect your speech pattern, rigidity of facial expressions and body posture and indifference to your personal uh, appearance, passivity, memory impairment, all of these things are things you could be left with after joining a cult. So if you're depressed, if you, you know, are really fearful and paranoid and you you are susceptible to joining a cult, it's it's not going to solve your problems. Yeah, you'll um, just be left worse off. Yeah, well, or at the very least you're going to be in the same place you're in, so maybe don't join a cult. Yeah, it's not something that's like a necessary evil to get better. Mm-mm, <laughs> mm-mm. Um it's an unnecessary evil. Anyway, <laughs> so um you could have a lot of difficulty thinking clearly, making decisions, analyzing situations, or even just performing everyday activities like picking out what you're going to wear that day or buying groceries or, you know, any regular run of the mill errand you might do. It would be a, a real challenge for somebody suffering from that. Um, there's a psychologist named Michael Langone, Langone, I don't know how to say his last name. Um, he described a common post-cult state that he calls floating, in which the former member goes back and forth from cult to non-cult ways of viewing the world. It's like you're you're stalled in like a foggy in-between state of consciousness. Um, some ex-cultists might experience what is called post-cult trauma, which is kind of like a form of PTSD hmm. and dealing with what you experienced while you were in the cult. Um, but most people who get involved in these sorts of groups, um, they do leave. Like it, it's, it, from what I found, I guess it's kind of hopeful, like a lot of people who join cults do leave cults um, in the end um, and, and leave of their own volition. Um in a 1997 interview in Time magazine, a man named Gordon Melton, uh, Melton, pardon me, I think I mispronounced his name right there. Uh, he is a, an anti-cult figure. Um, and he felt like um, there's too much credibility given to horror stories forwarded by like hostile former cult members. And he felt like that was like trying to get a picture of what marriage is like from someone who's gone through a really bad divorce. So um, it's not to say that this is like an impossible situation. It's not a good situation, but you know, you can like a lot of people do leave cults. People who join cults do leave them eventually um, or mostly um, not everyone leaves a cult with psychological damage by their experience. And some go on to, like move on with their life after like a fairly short adjustment period. But I think that hmm. the likelihood of that would really depend on the type of cult you were in and the types of experiences that you had. Like you were saying earlier, it's really the environment would dictate what that post cult experience is going to be for you. Like, yeah. What kind of group was it? What kind of experiences did you have there? What kind of people were there? What was your exit like? And I think just as much your environment after exiting the cult. Yeah, so, very true. Do you have a support system? Do you have family? Or are you going back to 
yeah. nothing. Yeah. Something part of what I read was uh, that some some people who join cults are choosing the lesser of two evils. So they're leaving a destructive family or a destructive home life because the cult is offering solutions and answers. So And even if it's also a destructive family and home life. It's better. Yeah. Yeah. At least you feel like you're getting the answer you were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And like cults kind of like in a fucked up way, they still, some of them are very supportive of their members and that sort of thing. Like from the podcasts that I listened to about Jonestown, they were all like kind of like a family. Up until the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Heaven's Gate was like that as well. They like were really peaceful people and like they had it's fucked what they left behind like they left recordings of themselves and the woman like she's a one of the women she's about to like drink the poison or whatever and uh she's saying like I don't want anyone to think this is a bad thing like I'm really happy to be here like this is this is what I want to do this is what I feel is right and it is yeah they were together like they truly cared about each other and they weren't um bad to each other or to other people in the world they just had they were misguided was the podcast just called heaven's gate yeah it's just called heaven's gate it's very interesting i can't recommend it highly enough i was fascinated the whole time i was like at points really emotionally gripping and yeah i I would say listen to it it'll if you're interested in cults you will enjoy it will do yeah so that's what I have for leaving a cult. So to go back to your question earlier, would you flip-flop? I don't know. I think, again, I think it's your environment. Like you say, if you were going back to something that didn't give you, if you if you went back out of the cult and you still were seeking the answer, yeah, maybe. I wonder if people join, like, they leave one cult and then they join another. Yeah, or do they find another kind of crutch? Like drugs. Yeah, well, I don't know. Hmm. Lots of things could be crutches, right? For next time. Yeah, maybe for next time. <sighs> um, so I guess some concluding thoughts, some ideas on, on how we feel after all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, think critically. Don't ever give up on your critical thinking. It's really important. Um, also, don't expect one person or one group to have all the answers that you're looking for. Like, I don't have those answers. Marta doesn't have those answers. No one's got all those answers, no matter how convincing they are. Um, and it is really good to believe in big and beautiful ideas, but just make sure that like, if somebody is promising you the, the sun and the moon and all of the stars, like ask some questions yeah yeah basically just like be a cynic (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess it's sort of like um don't believe everything you see on tv or don't believe everything you read on the internet like don't believe everything (laughs) some fucking random guy with a clipboard at your college orientation week tells you yeah yeah agreed so that's everything for today that's what we have on cults at least for now um, I would really like to, um, sorry, I would really like to cover those studies, the study studies. Yeah, so maybe, I think that we've got a good stock of topics for future study studies on our hands here. Yeah, as far as cults go, for sure. Um, and once again, I'd just like to thank you guys for listening. Don't join a cult. If you do, give us a call and we'll... We'll be that support system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine we just become the podcast that like helps people out of cults? Um, actually, I think if there's going to be a 
podcasts like that. It would be um, Heaven's Gate. I was in a cult. Is that what that Ooh, podcast yeah, yeah, is called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, check that out. I was in a cult. Heaven's Gate. The last podcast on the left episode of Jonestown was really cool. Let's link that. I'll I'll put that in yeah, the we description. Should. Yeah, um, a bunch of cult podcasts which are really really interesting and exciting. Um, and I hope that that satisfies everybody's curiosity for what it takes to join a cult or to be convinced to join a cult what the kind kinds of, people? of um, psychological tactics that are used by cults to bring those people in and the kinds of psychological effects that would leave on you if you're um, able yeah. to leave yeah and I know that Calvin was always like he's always like oh I wonder what it takes to be a cult leader like I wonder what makes those people like charismatic enough to get people to join and so Calvin now you know all you it's, need is a leader and recruiters. Yeah, you have to have a good idea and look for the right people and say the right thing. You have to be charismatic, just be yeah. super charming and find it's, out what people want and find a way to make them think that you're going to give it to them. Yeah, yeah. it's not ho- hocus pocus. It's just systematic. Um, really, really charming people. I mean, yeah. And like charming and like Charles Manson doesn't seem like the most charming guy, but charming and underhanded. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, apparently my voice just decided to crap out. <coughs> She's back. Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Uh, that was our episode on cults. We hope that you learned everything you were hoping to learn. We are Who Knew We Didn't Everywhere. So on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We also have a Patreon page. Um, um, email us, who knew we didn't at Gmail. Yeah, if you have any ideas, questions, comments, concerns, if you liked it or if you didn't, we want to know because we want to be improving because you guys are what drives the like it doesn't matter if we think it's good it matters if you think it's good so i mean we're having a good time but we want to make sure you are too (laughs) yeah anyway so that's everything thank you so much for listening bye bye